following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Do you remember about uh, seven years or so ago there was a tornado in Albany? Anyone remember that? Um, it, was, it was a weekday, can't remember which day, but I was in the office, in the church office, and uh, we started hearing these reports of a tornado. I think it started up around the Westfield Mall and did quite a bit of damage there, and, and then someone mentioned it and said it was, it was starting to move south, and we wondered how close it was going to come to the church offices, and it started making this path south down the, down the North Shore. Uh, Anna and I had just bought a house uh, in Birkenhead, and we hadn't moved into it yet. We'd taken possession of it, but hadn't moved in. And this tornado came down the shore, and it literally just came right up the street that we'd bought a house on. And we started to hear the name of the road that we'd bought a house on mentioned in news reports. This tornado had come through. We hadn't even moved in, so we're thinking this house is going to be flattened before we'd even have the chance to live in it. Uh, and so on the way home, I, I went by the, the, the road to try and assess any damage to the property, and we couldn't even get in. Uh, it was all police cordoned off. Uh, and so we had no idea of what damage had been done at that stage. Finally, the next day, we managed to get there and have a look around, and thankfully our house was fine. wasn't any damage. I think the most that had happened is we'd inherited a watering can from some other property, flowing over the fence in the midst of it all. So we were good, uh, and we moved in really soon after that, and it was interesting. You could sort of, from our place at that point, you could look down the road, and you could just about see the path of the tornado by the coloured tarpaulins on the roofs where people had had damage to roofs and had to get roofing tiles replaced and so on. It was pretty, pretty severe, but our house had been spared. And that was the most kind of severe weather incident that I can remember recent times. But this psalm, Psalm 29, it's all about a storm. That's the image. That's the, that's the metaphor that is dominant in this psalm. It's a storm, but it's not a literal storm. It's not literally a tornado. This is a psalm that uses all of that language, uses the image of a storm, the language of a big storm, all the phenomena that you would associate with a severe storm to describe the power of God. That's really what, what's in focus, is the greatness, the hugeness, the vastness of God. And the psalmist uses this language of a storm to give us a bit of an impression of who God is and what he's like. And it might seem like that's a bit of a negative image because you think of a storm being quite destructive. You think of it being violent and doing damage. And we generally, like if it's a severe storm, it's quite a negative thing from a human perspective. But as you read through the psalm and as it unfolds, you'll see the storm of God's power is not a negative force at all. In fact, it's very, very good. It's, it's a positive thing where the psalm ends up, and we'll get to that. But what I want to do is just walk with you through the psalm, just kind of meander through it, and it's the kind of psalm you, you, you really need to feel it. You know what I mean? More than just analyze it. You need to get inside this. You need to feel it. I was really hoping the weather might have been more stormy this morning so we could kind of like appreciate it, you know, but God wasn't really um, answering my prayers there. So um, you just have to imagine, right? You've got to immerse yourself in the imagery of the psalm and, and we contemplate the glory and the power of God. Okay? Sound good? You're waking up slowly? All right. All right. We'll see. Okay. So it starts, Psalm 29 starts where the verse two verses are a call to worship. Okay, so the psalmist hasn't got to the storm language yet. That's coming in verse three, but you have these first two verses where he says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. So the psalm's actually addressed to the heavenly beings, which probably are the angels. 
So straight away, you have this big perspective. This is not just about earthly events. This is about heavenly events. This is a big, great, cosmic God who is in view here. And the psalmist calls them and us to ascribe greatness to the Lord. That just means to attribute greatness, to declare God's greatness. It just means to declare the glory of God, to declare the power of God, to declare, to speak it out. That's what we've been doing this morning in worship. We've been speaking out the power and saying these truths and singing these truths about God's glory, His greatness, the God of wonders beyond our galaxy. He is holy. That's what we're doing. We're doing what the psalm calls us to do, ascribing greatness and honor and glory and strength to God. So that's the opening. That's the call to worship. And then in verse 3, you get into the actual storm description. It says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. So you have this image where God's voice is compared to a massive thunderclap. You know, we're not talking about the little rumbles of thunder that you hear sometimes. We're talking about those massive thunderclaps, those booms. You know what I mean? The ones, you know, you've experienced the ones that wake you up in the middle of the night, right? And you're like, what was, it was like a shotgun went off. It's like a cannon just went off outside my bedroom. That's the kind of thunder we're talking about. It's this thunderous, booming voice of the Lord over the waters. Now, let me ask you this. When in Scripture, can you think of a moment when the voice of the Lord speaks over the waters? Very first chapter, right, of the Bible, the creation story. It's the first thing that's described in the Bible. The earth is formless and void, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And God speaks, let there be light. And I think the psalmist is picking up that language and is giving us this picture, and he's comparing that word that God spoke at the beginning to a thunderclap, this booming, thunderous voice of God that speaks. And when God speaks, something happens. God's word is powerful. God's word is effective. God's word makes stuff happen. We get this picture at the beginning of the psalm. God's power is this incredible force, but it's, it's a power that is creative. It's a power that is generative. It's a power that is life-giving, just as it was at creation. It's not this volatile kind of thing. God's word brings light out of darkness, right? God's word brings life out of nothingness. God's word brings order out of chaos. God's word brings good out of evil. God's word is powerful and effective. It is a thunderous voice that thunders out over the waters, out over the seas. It's a little picture of the power and the beauty and the creativity of God. Let's keep going. Verse four, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Now, Lebanon is a, is a country, obviously, north of Israel, and it's famous. The national emblem of Lebanon is the cedar tree. It's famous for its cedar trees today. It was famous for its cedar trees back when the psalm was written. These huge, massive, big cedar trees, these spectacular trees, and uh, the wood from the cedar trees was exported all over the world in ancient times. Uh, including to Israel. When Solomon built the temple to God in Jerusalem, he imported cedar wood from Lebanon, cedar trees from Lebanon. He had them shipped down the coast, and he used them for the construction of the temple. So this was the, the most sturdy and hardy wood that you could find. It was the best timber available. And these trees, these cedar trees, were absolutely spectacular things. 
But you have this picture here where God is so massively powerful that he takes one of these huge big cedar trees and he just snaps it like it's a matchstick. He just snaps it like it's a dry little twig in his hand. He is so infinitely powerful. It's just nothing to him. Just, just snaps it like you and I snapping a little matchstick. That's how powerful God is. Every one of these pictures just gives you a fraction of a glimpse at the power of God. Okay, so you can't say, well, so God's powerful enough that he can snap a cedar tree and that's it. Now, this, the psalmist is just going, let me just point you in the direction of God's power, but you're going to need to keep going down that road to infinity to get there. This is just the smallest little taste of what the power of God is really like, that God is so overwhelmingly huge. His power is so irresistibly strong that he can snap a cedar tree, multiply that image to infinity, and you've got the fraction of a taste of what God's power is truly like. He is immense. He is huge. He is an awesome God. You're starting to get a picture of the awesomeness, the vastness, the power of God. He can snap the cedar trees. And then verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 6, he makes Lebanon leap like a, like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. Now, Syrian is another name you'll see in your margin for Mount Hermon. That was a mountain up in the north of Israel, big mountain, about 3,000 meters high, snowy-capped mountain, and quite a broad sort of mountain, just a spectacular, permanent structure of the landscape. And yet there's this image here where when God speaks, his voice is so powerful, so majestic, this mighty mountain just jumps in the air with fright, like a little, like a little animal being terrified at a thunderclap. It's like Mount Hermon jumps at the sound of God's voice. The mountains jump out of their place when God speaks. That's how powerful he is. A few years ago, our family went to the local fire station for a fire safety day. And we're all there, and they, they uh, do various demonstrations of things. And one of the demonstrations they did is of how to put out a fire on your stovetop. So if you've got something in the pot that catches fire, uh, this is how you put it out. And they showed you various things you can do, you know, putting something over the top, cutting off the oxygen to it, and so on. And then they said, here's the one thing that you never do if you've got a fire on the stovetop. You never pour water on it. So they had a big bucket of water, and they just poured the water straight on top of the stovetop, and this huge fireball just erupted out of this, what was a tiny little fire. And you get the huge heat wave just pours over you. And we had Ezra with us at the time. And he was, I think, one. And he just freaked out. Absolutely, just had a complete meltdown. Just absolutely terrified. Everyone's looking over at him. The fire chief comes over, apologizes to us. Really sorry. And we we're like, no, 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 it's fine. We probably should have realized that a terrifying fireball, you know, for a one-year-old might not have been the right kind of move. We didn't warn him about it or anything. He just totally freaked out. So this huge billowing fireball and, and melted down. And that's the kind of image that's going on here. It's like a young child seeing something overwhelmingly huge just jumps out of their place. In this case, it's Mount Hermon. It's this massive mountain. How much greater must the power of God be for this mountain to jump out of its place like a little child, like a little calf, like a little lamb? God is massively, hugely, irresistibly powerful. And this image just starts to point you in that direction. This is the voice of the Lord. This is how powerful God is. You convinced yet? Should we keep going? The picture's building, right? It's this kind of cumulative picture of the power of God. So then verse 7, the voice of the Lord strikes 
with flashes of lightning. Uh, Think of the most spectacular display of lightning you've ever seen. We could just share lightning stories all day, couldn't we? It's fantastic. We we had this place when we were in the States, uh, in Cincinnati, where we were looking out of our apartment over downtown Cincinnati, had this great view. And you get in the Midwest of of America, you get these dry storms. So no rain, but spectacular thunder and lightning. And so the view is fantastic because it's not inhibited by rain. And we could just sit there in our lazy boy, look out over Cincinnati and just see the spectacular sheet lightning, just light up the sky, light up the city. And it was just brilliant, just far better than any fireworks display could possibly be. This is the image the psalmist is using. This is the power. This is the glory of God, this incredible display of lightning. That's, that's what God is like, except think about that God created the lightning. This is the God who actually came up with the idea of lightning. How much more infinitely, spectacularly glorious must he be? This image just starts to point you towards the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of God who lights up the sky like lightning. The voice of the Lord strikes like lightning. These images building on the power of God. And then verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. Now, the desert of Kadesh was down in the south of Israel. So you just think about the geography of the psalm has moved from Lebanon up in the north down to now the desert of Kadesh. In the south, it's kind of like this, it's like a weather report coming down the country, you know, heavy rain expected, da, 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 da. Now we're down in the desert of Kadesh. When you think of the desert of Kadesh, don't think of a desert of sand. Think of a desert of rock. Right? This was just a desert that, that was full of rocky canyons. Anyone been to the Grand Canyon? It's amazing. You stand, you can literally stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. This is an overwhelming, breathtaking view. And, and what strikes you as you stand there is not just the size of it, but the permanence of it. You're just standing on this thing that just feels like it is the most solid, permanent thing in the world that has just been there forever. And in a sense, it has. You know, It is just immovably permanent. This is like the desert of Kadesh, these solid rock canyons. And yet here is the power of God, so immense that God just shakes the desert like it's little specks of dust. It's like when you've been sunbathing at the beach and you get up and you shake your beach towel and you, the sand just flies off and you, you forget what you're doing and you shake it into the wind and it all blows back in your face. But you know, the sand just flies off your towel. This is the image of God shaking these incredibly permanently solid canyons like they are sand off a beach towel. That's how immense, that's how huge his power and his strength is. You're starting to get the picture of the incredible, incomprehensible power of God. And then the final uh, metaphor that's used in verse 9, the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. Another image where God just decimates the forests, the trees. There was another tornado, I remember, a few years ago that came through kind of out west Auckland, came through Fanuapai. Do you remember that one? Damaged a lot of the Air Force housing out there. And a few days after that all happened, I went out to visit a family that lived out in that area, and their house had been kind of damaged by the storm, and went out to visit them, and had to park at the top of the driveway because you couldn't get down because of all the storm damage. And as I walked down that driveway, this massive tree just 
crashed over, it had already fallen, but there it was lying across the driveway. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but this huge tree, and walking around it, just looking at the stump that had just cracked through, an otherwise healthy tree. I mean, you could have got five people on top of the stump of the tree, and you sort of just stand there and appreciate how massive must the storm have been to bring this tree? How immense must the wind, the force of the wind have been to bring this tree crashing down? And this is the kind of language that's being used here to say, if you think that's impressive, just think of the power of God who twists the oaks, who snaps trees like that as if they were nothing. And that is just the smallest little glimpse of the true power of Yahweh, the Almighty God. These images... They just layer one upon another upon another. The, the intention is that we are just getting this picture that God is incomprehensibly powerful. And we tend to live, you and I tend to live with this little domesticated view of God. You know, he's that little puppy dog God. And we just keep him on a little leash. And he does what we want him to do. And we do what he wants us to do. And this cute little us and God relationship. And this psalm blows that all out of the water and says, God is not your little puppy dog. He is a great big God. He is incomprehensible. He is uncontainably huge. He is unfathomable. He is indescribable. He's inexplicable. His glory is matchless and unrivaled and unequaled. And just when you think that you've got a bit of a handle on it, he blows that out of the water. There is no possible way that we can get our head and our heart around just how huge God is. I don't have enough adjectives. I was on thesaurus.com trying to look up more words to try and expand my vocabulary so I could try and present something of the hugeness of the vastness. But you get to a point where human language just runs out. doesn't matter what language you speak. It just runs out. We've got nothing left because God is beyond that. If you think you can describe him, you cannot. He is beyond. He is above. He is outside. He is just immeasurably, massively powerful. We've got to get an image of a great big God. And our heads, we must have this image of the hugeness and the vastness of God if we want to relate to Him rightly as His people, as His children. Reminds you of the words of that old hymn, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works Thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And what's the next line? Then sings my soul, right? That's what happens. That's what happens when you start to get a glimpse of the almightiness, the breathtaking hugeness of God. Your soul starts to sing, how great thou art. That's where the psalm goes. That's the direction that it moves. In verse 9, the last phrase, and in his temple, all cry glory. So now we've moved to the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that, by the way, was built with the cedar logs of Lebanon. And this was the place of worship for the Jewish people. And there's this picture now of God's people gathering at the temple, gathering to worship and beholding in wonder the glory and the power of God. And all they can do is cry glory. Their soul starts to sing, how great thou art. Now, we've got one person in our church who sometimes cries glory. Um, and I don't, I don't want to, I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass Gary. But sometimes, 
Sometimes he will cry glory, and it's just because, I assume, he is overwhelmed by the wonder and the glory of God. But here is an opportunity for all God's people to cry glory. Shall we try it? Right? On the, <laughs> just, you're too eager. You're too eager. On the count of three, we're all going to cry glory, okay? One, two, three. Glory. Yeah, that was great. And that is just a fraction of the kind of worship that this psalm points us toward. You know, if, if your worship life is a bit weak, if you struggle to worship, to engage in worship, to be bothered with worship, it might be that the problem's not worship. The problem might be that your God is too small. And the solution might not be to think about worship as such or any particular form of it. The solution might be to soak your heart in psalms like this that blow your mind with the power of God and sit with this a while. And just let your mind go to the heavens. And then you find, then sings my soul. There's a natural progression. When I consider your works, then sings my soul. My Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. When you really comprehend the power of God, you won't be able to stop your soul from singing. Whether it's musical or not is not the point. But your soul will be stirred by the majesty of God and you'll find yourself saying glory. It's the only fitting response to what we see of the amazingness of God. There's one final movement of the psalm, and it's so important, these last couple of verses. Verse 10 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Now that sounds like a bit of a strange phrase, that, that verse 1 and verse 10, the Lord is enthroned over the flood. What does that mean? That word flood... The Hebrew word for flood, it appears 11 other times in the Old Testament. And guess where they all are? All in Genesis, all connected to the story of Noah's flood, Noah's ark. They're all in relation to that story. It's the only time the word flood is used. Uh, and when you think about it, there's an interesting connection between that story and the psalm. The story of Noah's ark is a story about a storm as well. It's another moment when God brought a storm, a literal storm upon the earth that resulted in a flood. And that was a storm where God demonstrated his power, the enormity of his power to judge human sin and human wickedness. But as you, as you think about that story, there's the massive power of God in bringing the flood. But then in the midst of that display of God's power, there is mercy. There is grace that God preserves Noah's family, brings them through the flood, God's enthroned over the flood, and he brings Noah's family through the flood. And I think what the psalmist is hinting at here is God is immeasurably powerful, but in the midst of his power, there is mercy. In the midst of his power, there is grace that God uses his power for our good. This is so important. God doesn't use power the way we use power. We get a whiff of power, and what happens? It goes straight to our heads. We become egomaniacs. We want to use it just to puff ourselves up, build our own kingdoms, stroke our own pride, protect our own fortress, whatever. We just, it just goes to our head. God is the opposite. He has all power, and yet he uses it to bless. He uses it to build up. He uses it for our good. He uses it to show mercy and to show grace and to show how marvelous and how wonderful is his love for us. That's why the last two lines of these psalms, the psalm are, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. 
Isn't it interesting that in a psalm full of language about a storm, the final word is peace? It's that beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, peace. And it means not just a feeling of peace in my heart, but peace that flows in every conceivable direction. Peace with God, peace with myself, peace with others, and peace ultimately with creation, with God's created world. That's shalom. Shalom envisages a a world that is permeated by the peace of God, with human beings living in these reconciled relationships with God, self, others, the world, and God in the center of it all. That's shalom. And God's power is always intended towards shalom. This is so important. God's power, when God uses his power, when God displays his power, it is always for the purpose, ultimately, of bringing about shalom. It is not to condemn, it is not to destroy, it is not to damage and bring down, but it is for the purpose of bringing about shalom. And the ultimate demonstration of that was the cross. On the cross, we see the fullness of God's power. We see God's power unleashed upon sin, to judge sin, and unleashed to conquer the evil one. God uses the fullness of his power to devastate Satan, bring down his adversary, conquer the devil. That's the ultimate demonstration of God's power. But the purpose of that was not just to tear Satan down. It was to bring about shalom. It was to bring about God's kingdom, to bring about God's new creation, to begin bringing about this world, this new state of affairs, where there is peace and joy and righteousness. This is the kingdom of God. And we're the beneficiaries of it now, right? We enjoy peace with God and peace with one another because of what God has done. God has shown his power at the cross. And now we are the beneficiaries living in this peace, this shalom that God has brought about. That's why we don't have to fear God's power. That's why we don't have to cower in a terrified way before God because he's not this capricious being who uses his power in destructive ways. But we know that ultimately God uses his power to bless. And so we can rejoice at the power of God. We can cry glory because God's power is for our good. There's a quote that I've used before, but I come back to it this week because it's so pertinent to this psalm in C.S. Lewis' novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, And you know in that novel, Aslan, the lion, is is an allegory of Jesus, another great metaphor for, for Christ, for God, another image of power the lion. So Aslan represents Jesus. And there's this moment in the story where the children are asking about Aslan, what he's like. They haven't met him yet. And they're just starting to ask some questions. And Susan asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, that's the God whom we serve. He is not safe. He is not a safe God. He's not a domesticated God. He doesn't fit in your box. He doesn't fit. He won't stay in your cage, no matter how much you think he will. He's not going to stay there. He's not going to play by your rules. He's not going to work on your terms. He is not a safe God. He is a wild God. He is an unpredictable God. He is a raging storm. He is a raging tempest. He is an all-consuming fire. He is not a safe God. But he is very, very good. And that's what makes the difference. He is all-powerful, but he is 
unbelievably good. And he uses the fullness of his power to show us the fullness of his love, to bless us, to encourage us, to save us, to strengthen us, and ultimately to lead us into a world of shalom when Jesus returns. We don't need to fear God's power. We can celebrate it. Let's try to recover a great big view of God, okay? I think the temptation is, the drift will always be to domesticate God and remake him in our image. Let's just put all that aside and let's allow our hearts to be gripped again by the enormity and the immensity of who God is. And then as we gaze in wonder at the beauty, the majesty, the glory, and the power of God, let's allow our soul to sing how great thou art. Let's allow our soul to cry out that word that we hear God's people crying out in this psalm, the only word that is worthy to respond to the amazing power of God, glory. Let's glorify God because of who he is and his overwhelming power. Father, we do stand amazed at your power. We do just stand in wonder. We're awestruck. God, we're we're convicted because we do so often carry around in our heads a view of you that is so small. And we just pray prayers that reflect a small little view of God. And we live our lives based on a pretty small view of who you are. God, we pray you'd shatter that image. And God, this morning, let us feel the force of what this psalm is describing for us. God, let us comprehend just a little bit more of your power. God, we know that we'll never see it all. We'll never, we could never understand it all. We could never comprehend it. But God, we pray that we would just see a little more of your power. That we would just be able to to have a little more of a grasp of your awesomeness, of just how great you are. And God, we thank you that as we stand in wonder at just how powerful you are, we can feel safe in your arms because you care for us, because you love us, because you carry us, because you've died for us. Thank you that there is such security in you, such peace in you, because of how powerful you are. We do give you the glory, God. We do cry out glory. Our souls sing. How great thou art. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.